unveiling the secrets A-list copywriters use to make themselves and their clients millions. This is the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. All right, welcome back, copywriters, to the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. David, a pleasure to be back with you. How are you doing today? Nathan, great to see you, too, and I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing fantastic, and uh, let's just jump into it. All right, let me tell you about my friend Michael. He's, he's here in the neighborhood where I live, in the sunset dist- outer Sunset District of San Francisco. He has a sushi restaurant, and his place is one of, I don't know, I see him all over the place, um, a dozen, maybe dozens, just in this neighborhood in San Francisco. I've never taken time to count all of them. And even though his restaurant is a lot more seating than your typical sushi bar, it's nearly always full at dinner time. So one day I pulled Michael aside and I asked him how he got so many customers. And he said, David, it's not all that many customers. It's just that the customers I have keep coming back. Hmm. So does this sushi restaurant owner know something that you don't? Or even if you know it, are you falling short when it comes to taking advantage of this truth? That is, you'll make a lot more money when you find a way to get your old customers to keep coming back. And that's what we'll talk about in today's episode. But first on the menu is this. Copy is powerful. You're responsible for how you use what you hear in this podcast. Most of the time, common sense is all you need. But if you make extreme claims and if you're writing copy for offers in highly regulated industries like health, finance, and business opportunity, you may want to get a legal review after you write and before you start using your copy. My larger clients do this all the time. So, Nathan. Most marketers leave the vast majority of their money on the table by not making additional offers to their new customers once the new customer has bought something the first time. Mm -hmm. And this is a big mistake. And it's true that people sometimes only want to buy one thing from you and banish you from their life, never hear from you again. (laughs) But, But that's rare. Most of the time, they would want more if you made it available to them and if you made good offers. So let me, let me give you an extreme example of this. And and then we're going to drill it down to um, everyday reality. One of my A-list copywriter friends writes for Mindvalley, a big personal growth site. And he doesn't write all their copy. And in a second, you'll see why that would be impossible, but he writes a lot for them. Mindvalley makes two new offers of complete courses every month to its large and growing list. And Mindvalley is currently an eight-figure company. Eight figures means between 10 and 99.9999 million. And my friend thinks that Mindvalley is on their way to crossing the $100 million a year mark. Now, of course, not everyone can come up with 24 unique offers a year. I mean, I could, but I couldn't do anything else. I'm not sure I could actually create the products behind them. Um, 
but I'm not sure I want to either. But even if you can do that, it's going to be pretty hard to fulfill. You're going to need a lot of people, a lot of resources, and it's going to take a lot of time to do that much. The good news is you don't have to because anyone can benefit from different variations of the strategy I'm talking about. See, the strategy that Michael, the sushi restaurant owner, uses and the strategy that Mind Valley uses are the same strategy. They're just different variations. And what's the strategy? Again, it's very simple. You have someone, they buy something from you, you develop a relationship with them, and they'd like to buy more from you. So you offer it to them, and they buy it. It's not real complicated, but executing and you know, getting it specific does take some work. Now, why does this work so well? Well, one reason is going back to old customers works well because you have already broken down two barriers that prevent sales. You may not have eliminated them, but you've broken them down or, or taken them way down. And the first barrier is unfamiliarity. They didn't know who you were, anything about you or your company before you sold them something. Once you have, then they do. The second one is distrust. People distrust people they don't know. Once they have a positive experience with that person, the person has made promises and more than delivered on them, then the distrust goes down and the trust goes up. Uh, These are not just academic abstract distinctions. This is how it works in the real world. And when you ignore this, you're leaving money on the table because when a customer knows you and trusts you, they're at least five to six times more likely to buy. And this this isn't something just pulled out of the air. This has been proven by pretty rigorous statistical reviews of direct marketers and, and other people in sales. Um, five to six times more likely to buy when they know you and they trust you. So let's talk about how to pick up all that money on the table that marketers and copywriters are just leaving there. Uh, one thing that I, whenever I'm doing a piece of copy or whenever I'm doing consulting with a business, one of the things that we really like to get in place first is what is their customer acquisition cost or what's an acceptable customer acquisition cost. And if you're only making that first sale, then your customer acquisition cost is not going to be, uh, it's, it's going to have to be very low. But if you do have some sort of way to follow up and if you have uh, systems or copy that helps you make more money after that initial purchase, then the customer acquisition cost can go up. You can even uh, break even or even lose a little bit of money on that first sale and still have a successful piece of introductory copy. So by having what we're going to talk about on the back end, it makes the front end copy a lot more um, viable without having to be a grand slam piece every single time. Yeah, very, very good point. That's true. Um, So let's talk about three different types of copy. And the the first one, or these are sort of three different strategies, three different modes of operation, you know, to take that cost of acquiring the customer, which may may put you at break even or even slightly uh, in the hole, 
and, and turn it to positive, turn it to profit. The first thing is to sell them the same thing again. Now, sometimes all it takes is, is to ask the customer to offer them the chance to buy it again. And this is especially true if you sell a consumable product that people use up. So Amazon does this to me all the time. And if you're an Amazon customer, it probably does it to you too. Um, they will usually do this not with the emails they send to me, but they will do it inside the Amazon website, maybe when I'm there browsing or there to get something else. And there are some things I buy over and over again, but I don't consume them on a regular enough basis to subscribe and get it automatically, which we'll talk about later. But uh, one thing I get and it depends. Sometimes I'll get it every three weeks, four weeks. Sometimes I'll get it every six weeks. Just depends on a lot of things. Is an Italian espresso coffee. I really like. I, I mix it with another coffee when I brew my coffee in the morning and the mid-morning and the afternoon and the late afternoon and so on. And so, so um, where was I? I started thinking about coffee. So what I'll, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what I'll do is um, I'll, I'll order another bag when the beans get low. Now, they don't have to train me to do that, but there are some other things they'll ask me about that I've bought before. Most of the time I won't buy, but sometimes I will. And let's say that you had a business like a golf equipment company, and let's say you sell golf balls that are unique. Well, golfers lose golf balls. And if they like yours, all they might need is a little push, a special offer to get more from you rather than get something else. Now, here's a, here's a twist for authors, especially for authors. If you have a book and you have a buyer list, and now, for, forget about people like me who have bought several copies of the same book because they can't find the first one they bought because <laughs> there's just too many books. Uh, that's not what I'm talking about here. But if you have a buyer list and people love your book, they might want to buy a copy for a friend or a family member or a business associate mm. or for their team. You never know. But if you take the initiative and you make them an offer, you'll have a much better shot at getting them to buy. And if you think about the cost of advertising, or the cost of developing a non-buyer on your list into a buyer, just in terms of effort and time, this is, this is a much more profitable way to sell the same thing. So that, that's, that's the first one. That's probably, for most businesses and most copywriters, probably going to be the... Um, least commonly used opportunity of the three we're going to talk about today, but it's the easiest one to understand. Um, yeah. Uh, I just wanted to add, um, last year I was working with a supplements company and that was one of the things that we did. We actually did it immediately after they, before they even checked out immediately after they clicked on the initial purchase, uh, to add to cart. Mm -hmm. Um, the very next page was 
do you want to add two more bottles to your order and get a 10% discount? Same thing with uh, selling books. I've seen this. Some of the authors on Amazon do this, where when you when you go to buy one, it makes the offer right there. Would you like to purchase another book as a gift for, like you said, your teenager or a friend uh, before they even do the checkout process, before they're even finished with the purchase? And when we implemented that with the supplements company, um, just adding two more, they they bought one and we said, hey, add two more to your order. And immediately we saw like a 60% increase in orders just by making that one, uh, I, I don't even want to say it was a call to action, just a suggestion to add two more. We saw a 66, 66% increase almost overnight in orders. Yeah. Um, people don't think this will work, but it does. And um, especially if you give them a little bit of a discount on the additional orders, you know, or or some kind of bonus. But even when you don't, people will will end up buying more. Uh, people are scared to do this sometimes, but wow, it really works. So that's a great example. Yeah. And what was crazy about it was before we made that offer, they didn't have the intention of buying three. They only had the intention of buying one, but a large percentage of them. As soon as they saw, after they bought one, we just said, hey, you want to confirm that decision and actually drive it home with two more? People that weren't going to buy three all of a sudden bought three. I I don't want to get too personal or specific here, Nathan, but was there ever anything you wanted to do once that you ended up doing three times? (laughs) Yes, when I was 16. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, yes, I I can remember those days too. Uh Well, I gave a talk when I was in, um, ninth grade uh, to the Optimist Club, and the um, talk opened. Tis a pity that youth is wasted on the young. <laughs> True. Uh, quote George Bernard Shaw. Oh, well. Okay, uh, moving right along, as they say. <laughs> Here's the second strategy um, sell them something similar, but not exactly the same. Okay. Yeah, that might mean that you're going to offer one of your competitor's products to them as an affiliate. It also might mean if you have an online store that you're going, going to have different complementary products. Not that you're going to be, I mean, let's talk about supplements. They don't have to be two versions of vitamin C. I mean, how many versions of vitamin B are there? There's B1, B2, B3. I can't even keep track of them. And I, I take a lot of supplements, and I'm very pro-supplements. And I try and learn what's in them, but I cannot keep track of all the versions of vitamin B. Plus, then there's the bioavailability. Plus, then there's the methylized stuff. I, I really can't keep track of it. But the fact is, you can find something that's similar that's going to complement the order. Um, that you might make or that, you know, even a competitor might make. And, you know, your competitor makes some products that compete against yours, so you don't offer that. But you find products that fill out your product line, and they make money, you make money, customers happy. That works. Now, uh, let's say that you're an author, or let's say that you're not a book author per se, but you're a teacher or a trainer or an info product creator. You create home study courses. This is a strategy you can use. Um, this, this gets back to Mind Valley. You know, you can create another course. It could be the advanced version or it could be something else you know about that's related that a lot of your customers would be interested in. And 
Again, you probably can't come up with 24 brand new offers a year, but you can come up with more than one. You can do the same thing coming up with different services, uh, especially if you're a consultant. Consulting is usually so fluid and responsive and uh, spontaneous. You can just look at putting a different name on a package as long as the name that that maybe a lot of your consultations before ended up going in that direction. And there would be people who bought you know, another type of consultation from you who might be interested in a specifically named and branded consultation uh, just because you offer it and you suggest it. If you make a physical product or you have an online store, uh, what we're going to talk about next is even better for you. But again, you can offer an, a related affiliate product. If you have a bona fide store, you can offer related products that you buy at wholesale and sell at retail or that you offer and and someone drop ships for you and then you pay them when you make the sale, however that works for you. Hey, let me ask you a question. Does it take you too long to write your copy? And if it does, have you ever wished you had a proven system to write it faster? Well, if that describes you, then you'll wanna know about high-speed copywriting. This is a home study program that has helped a lot of people write profitable sales letters in as little as five hours. No, it's not a bunch of shortcut tricks that leaves you with cookie cutter sales letters that people can ignore. It's about writing full-fledged, memorable, response-getting sales letters much faster than it usually takes. It's tested and proven too. High-speed copywriting will ease you through putting together an original, powerful sales letter and putting it together in record time. You can find out more at highspeedcopywriting.com. By the way, this is one of the very few programs that Bond and Kevin Halbert have given their Halbert seal of approval to. So check it out today, highspeedcopywriting.com. Thank you. And now back to our show. Now, the question that's going to come up, because I have a very smart client, someone I'm mentoring right now, and, and he said to me, David, this thing you asked me to read seems like it's more about marketing than it is about copy. And I said, yeah, um, you're right. It's actually about both. And so I, I think the question here would come up, do these strategies, and we've only gone through two of them, we still don't want to go, do they seem more like marketing strategies and copywriting strategies? And I would say in a way they are. But there's no way that they'll work unless you have good copy mm -hmm. and not just copy to make the sales, but to support the development of the relationship with the customers as well. That's also very important. And, and that's copy. Um, it is period. Okay. Amazon does a good job of this where if you buy some golf balls, like you mentioned golf balls earlier, they'll suggest some golf gloves or uh, some tees. I have a friend that sells an exercise and healthy eating program. And then one of the upsells that he has is how to fight cravings. And because he felt that that, or he found out that that was one of the biggest things that his people were dealing with. Kind of like you mentioned, um, when you're doing consulting, you might have, uh, you might see a recurring theme in your consulting. So you might brand a specific niche of your consulting off in that direction. But 
just because somebody bought the initial thing doesn't mean that they're going to buy the next thing also. It, you still need to be able to persuade and you still need to use copies. So if you think you can just say, um, buy this, like we mentioned with the supplements, it, it doesn't always work that way. Sometimes you do need to go back and know how to uh, rewarm the, the buyer attitude. Yeah, absolutely. And and I'm going to talk about that in a minute, but well, let's talk about it now since you brought it up. It's a really good point. So getting back to what I was talking about earlier, yeah, the trust barrier is down and the familiarity with you and your company is down. However, that doesn't mean that all resistance to purchasing because you go, I just snap my fingers, buy something. <laughs> No, that's not down. There's, there, you know, it's not like they've given you their PIN or as it's redundantly called PIN number for their ATM just because they're your customer. You, you still need to sell them. And so we'll, we'll get to that again. But I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up because, you know, some people go, you know, it's it's like a, a pendulum. They're all the way on one side. Oh, I don't I don't want to bother somebody and risk pissing them off by 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 trying to sell them something to. Oh, well, now they're my customer. They'll buy anything. No, it doesn't work like that. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it works the way you said it. Okay, so let's talk about the third type of copy. Get them to buy something from you every month. Aha! A lot of people do this. Maybe you have some clients like this, or maybe you have purchased some things like this, you know, membership sites, continuity programs. If you're a content provider, that can work really well. Now, as someone who's been providing content in one way or the other for, hold on, 42 years, give or take a few months, uh, it's a lot of work. And it's even more work to come up with something that's new and useful. And it's even more work to come up with something that's interesting. And it's even more work to come up with something that's on time. So, yeah, continuity programs are are issues. If you're a content creator, what's probably less stressful and still very profitable is to come up with new standalone offers. Now, it doesn't give you that nice ka at the beginning of each month where, you know, you have, uh, let's say, a thousand subscriptions at thirty nine ninety five a month, and boom, here comes forty thousand dollars into your bank account. Okay, but you want that? You got to work for it, and it could make your life a little unbalanced. Continuity programs are like a membership site. Uh, this is also kind of the same model that like magazines, when they offer you a subscription, um, go with. Uh, uh, kind of a variation that's really popular now, which actually you're, uh, this is how I siphon money out of you every month is we have a software as a service. So we have podcast hosting like I'm doing with you right now, where I help you produce your podcast. And then we also have blast pod where people pay us each month to host their podcast and have their website. Like the copywriters podcast website is up there. Um, that is, we set it up one time and the computer gives them access to host their podcast and we get continued payments every single month. So, uh, I, in, in my business model, I try to have, uh, I try to work continuity in, in any way that I can. And, uh, it just makes it to where 
especially with a subscription or, or uh, a membership site, it's, it's almost just like an automatic payment. Our customers don't even think twice. We don't have to deal with that barrier, those resistance every month. It just automatically comes out of their paycheck or out of their uh, bank account. Mm-hmm. So that's right, everybody. How many times does Nathan get a payment from me each month? Twice. He gets a payment from me for hosting or producing the podcast, and he gets a payment out of me for hosting the podcast. And that's good. You know, that's that's a, that's a perfect example. And I uh, uh, hope my rates don't go up when I say this. I'm glad to pay it because it's worth it. You know, it's it's hands off. All I have to do is come up with the content and have a friendly conversation with Nathan every week, you know, um, which is a lot less than the whole kit and caboodle. So, yeah, good point. Another thing that's become real popular lately, and this is so far away from my uh, area of experience, I could only introduce you to the idea and say, go forward and prosper with it if if it seems good to you, is the, the gift box program. There are I'm I'm especially familiar with gift boxes for pets, but I know there are lots of other kinds. I just don't know much about them. And it's a continuity program. It's like a subscription to a box of stuff that comes in the mail every month, and then they ding your credit card. Or if you're the company, you ding their credit card every month. People like those. Now, I buy a lot of supplements. Um, in fact, one of the major... Um, challenges and accomplishments of each day is taking all of them, remembering to. And it's not the hardest thing to do, but it does take some time and it's a little annoying sometimes. Uh, And some of the supplements I buy, you know, they have subscriptions on Amazon. I buy a lot of them from Amazon. Buy some of them from my local, my local health food store. And um, Amazon will offer me five or 10, 15% discount. Uh, because I'm not a hundred percent consistent with everything all the time, and there's only so much room in the kitchen counter, um, I I don't s- sign up for subscriptions unless I'm forced to. I just got a new supplement that will they will only sell to me by subscription, but I was convinced that this one was good enough so that I'll do that. Uh, but generally, I don't like to subscribe to stuff, uh, food and supplements. Uh, and, and then, like you mentioned, Nathan, like a magazine subscription or a newsletter subscription, uh, our friend Ben Settle has done pretty well with uh, a subscription to his newsletter, $97 a month. Um, we can recommend it. It's it's good. It's called Email Players. Um, he has a lot, of, a lot of people who get a lot out of it. It seems like a high price until you look at the quality of stuff that he's providing and and the fact that people are getting amazing financial results. So that's okay. And then, oh, yeah, the last thing was Copywriters Podcast, except we forgot to charge you for this. That's another <laughs> example. So, I, Nathan, we really need to put that tin cup up on the website so people <laughs> can make contributions. I'll get on that. Yeah, thanks. So I, I hope by now you can see there's some way that you could be using this in your business as a copywriter, as a business owner, uh, as a content provider, whatever you're doing um, to to make more money and actually make some of your customers a lot happier. And I, I want to give you some tips. Number one, 
don't always go for the close in every communication. Now, some people do, and it works. But sometimes it's good to just tell a story, tell how people are using your product, give a, a, a tip that they haven't read a thousand times before. Just tell them, you know, about what's going on in your life for your business. Or uh, if you get Michael Senoff stuff, he tells the most wonderful, ridiculous, silly stories. They're just wonderful. I love to read them. And they're like not rated for prime time, but they're great for email. Hmm. Michael really knows what he's doing. You know, hardtofindseminars.com. Uh, number two is, as you said before, Nathan, you have to sell them fully each time. You have to give them a complete sales presentation. You don't, you don't come and say, hey, you know me and you trust me, so buy this. Now, there are some people who are so charismatic or so arrogant or so clueless, I don't know which, that they do that. Don't you be one of them. Um, give them a complete, it's a matter of respect. Give them a complete sales presentation, sales page. You, you know that you're likely to have a much higher close rate, all things being equal, that is, with a house list of buyers, of people who bought, compared to, you know, people who haven't bought, people who don't even know you. But even though trust is higher and resistance is lower, you still need to give them a complete sales presentation. And number three, and this is important, and this falls between the cracks a lot, and it shouldn't. Remember why they bought from you in the first place. Remember what it was, what you appealed to, what values of yours you put out there, what values of theirs you assumed they had and appealed to. Um, what, what you have in common, and reference it directly or indirectly. If that's how you created the bond, that's a good way to maintain it and grow with it, build on it. Yeah. Nice. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give a little bit of a thought on each one of those three tips, if you don't mind. Please do. So all of these specifically post-initial sale don't always go for the close in every communication. For me, this means in emails, a lot of times to pre-existing customers, I'll send them emails that are just meant to help them do better in their business. So for podcast blast off, um, I'll send people that are on our customer list. I'll send them emails that don't lead to anything at all for a sale. It just helps them get better results in their podcast. For people that have hired me for writing copy or doing marketing consulting, sometimes I'll just send them a, an email that's just like, hey, this will help you get a whatever percent increase or this will help you see a, a, a better result in this particular thing. And I'm not really going for a sale. I'm just saying, hey, I'm trying to help you do better. Uh, you're somebody who pays me. And the better you do, the more likely you're going to come back and pay me. And the, the more likely you're going to continue paying me for the long run. So don't always go for the sale in every communication uh, for, for people that have already bought from you. Just giving them that little extra bit of love, it, it endears you to them. If it can help their success, it makes them turn into much longer term customers. Yeah. The next one that you do have to sell every time, if you're, if you're making a sale, you can't just say, hey, buy some more stuff from me. You definitely have to go through the whole process again. And it, maybe it doesn't have to be as in-depth as the initial one, but you can't skip steps and go straight to the call to action and expect it to convert just because you've sold them the first time. And then that last one that you said, remember why they bought from you in the first place. That's so huge because so many businesses that in my own business and in other businesses that I've worked with, we forget 
why they bought from us in the first place. We forget what made us successful. And just by asking yourself that, what made us successful initially and what have we stopped doing and go back and do what made you successful initially, you'll all of a sudden see a giant increase in your response rates. You'll see a giant increase in in, uh, your conversion rates because... I, I I don't know what's your thoughts on this actually. Um, why do people forget to to continue doing the things that worked after they've proven that they worked so well? Uh, good question. I think it's because they're so busy and they're you know it's it's much easier for us as consultants to say this than it is for them in their own business where they have more narrow focus and they're juggling a lot of things and they're dealing with employees, they're dealing with customers, they're dealing with regulators, they're uh, dealing with opportunities, they're fixing problems. And so they can't always remember everything. They, they may, they may be under the impression that you only need to appeal to people's values and talk about things that are in common when you first meet. They, they don't realize that's the glue. That's the glue that, that holds relationships together and that constitutes the nutrients that help relationships grow. But they should remember that. Um, I think they need you and me to nag them about it, Nathan. I'm not a big fan of nagging, but stuff like this, yeah, sure, why not? Well, and it goes, it kind of translates into the real world because so much about marketing, so much about copywriting is based on the same psychology that makes relationships in the real world flourish. And uh, a lot of times when a relationship's in trouble, you just ask them, well, what did you do to woo them over in the first place? And are you still doing that? And when a relationship's in trouble, the answer is always, no, I'm not doing that anymore. Why did you stop? Well, they bought. So I figured I didn't have to do that anymore. Yeah. Oh, well, you didn't only if you wanted the relationship to continue. (laughs) Exactly. All right, David, this has been a fantastic episode and oh, man, you, we went into some areas that I didn't that I didn't even think of, but uh some awesome revelations. So thank you so much. Well, you're welcome. You're All welcome. Right. What do we got it, coming up next time? Well, you know, we got a special guest and I'm not even going to say who it is, but I'm going to say in the copywriting industry, he's very famous, but unlike a lot of people who are only famous in the copywriting industry, he knows people who are like he he knows personally people who are household names. Mm. He really knows about fame. And you want to know the funniest thing? He's not going to talk about fame unless he wants to. But that's not what we want to talk to him about. Awesome. I can't wait to find out who it is. And I guess I'll just have to be as surprised as everybody else. So tune in next week for a very special guest and we'll find out who it is together. David, thank you again for Uh, Just laying out a wealth of knowledge. Thank you, copywriters, for tuning in. And we will catch you next time. Ah, Thank you. See See you next time. If you found this show valuable and you'd like to get it in the ears of other people, the best way to do that is to subscribe, rate, and review it on iTunes.